Stu here. I'm very proud to announce that Spoilers, my award-winning climate change comedy show, is returning to the Edinburgh Festival on the 12th, 13th and 14th of August. You can get your tickets at stuartgoldsmith.com on the little orange banner, or you can just go to edfringe.com and search my name. I mean, that's what I'd do. Whether you're a die-hard, north-face-wearing climate dude, or whether you are just a regular person who's a little bit nervous about all the news you're seeing and doesn't really know what to think, there's something there for you. It's really fun and funny, and I think you're going to love it. See you there. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique, and your conversations should reflect that eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and I'm talking to John Robbins in this episode. Uh, I've been sitting on this one for a while, so apologies to John and for those of you who've been uh, waiting a long time to hear it. We recorded this just before summer and as a result, some of the introductory chat is about the fact that John isn't doing Edinburgh this year. Obviously, that refers to the Edinburgh Festival just gone. Uh, John's a brilliant act. If you've not caught his stuff before, you can find out, uh, you can listen to lots of his stuff on Bandcamp, uh, johnrobbins.bandcamp.com, I guess, or some version of that, possibly Bandcamp. JohnRobbins.com uh, and also you'll have heard me frequently on this show recommend his podcast with Ellis James who I'm also uh, in the process of uh, booking for an interview uh, and then hopefully we might even do a sort of triple up where I interview them as a, a podcast double up but uh, they've got a show on Radio X which I highly recommend and you can find their podcast online in all the usual podcast places um, they're on tour at the moment I think sort of any minute now uh, you can go to ellisandjohn.com to find out more about that we'll get stuck into that in the middle bit um, but for this, it's we talk for so long. It's not a two-parter. It's going to be a big chunk and then some extra material. I'll find out. Uh, I'll I'll find out. You'll find out uh, where to download that from during the episode. Speak to you soon. This is John Robbins. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much. I'm uh, enjoying my first ever summer off of Edinburgh prep. Since oh wow. Since, well, in, in all forms, since 2004. It's the last time I had a summer. What are you doing with your summer? I'm moving house. I'm not... And the main thing is not feeling... A wonderful sense of not feeling guilty for doing nothing. Yeah. Which is always the problem with Edinburgh. Is there's always something you could be doing. Whereas now there's nothing. Oh, man. It's the best. It's the I absolute best. I can't imagine. I did... About three years ago, I did just the podcast at the festival so I wasn't taking a new mm. show up and I do remember that kind of June feeling like I had a lot of admin to do a lot of booking and stuff but I didn't have the, the kind of gently grinding anxiety mm. that I have now I mean I've got anxiety about other things but like normal world things so which don't sort of because you can get them done that's the thing yes. if you're worrying about so I've got, this, got some new accounting software that's really stressing me out but I can sort that in an afternoon whereas if you're worried about Edinburgh in mid-May 
you can't say, well, we'll just do it this afternoon. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just finish the show. Yeah. Even if you have a good one, the next morning you can listen back to it and go, oh, that wasn't as good as I, oh, it isn't finished. Yeah. And no, I've not got to worry about any pictures or deadlines or blurbs God. or Q&As. It's the best. It's the absolute best. Is that a good play? Are you someone who thrives more on uh, stuff happening or more on the absence of stuff? Uh, what do you, what do you, what do you well, mean like, by- are you like? I, I think if I didn't have the thing on, I would start to feel nervous and guilty that I wasn't doing the thing. What if you weren't doing Edinburgh? If I weren't doing Edinburgh, I'd probably feel more worried than if I was doing Edinburgh. No, I mean, I, th- I mean, I think they should still go ahead with the festival. <laughs> I absolutely, uh, I think they should still have the award, regardless. But I'm, I kind of feel that this would be my eighth show if I had gone up in a row and I sort of feel I've um, I've not left anything in the tank from those seven years so it's about time to to take the year off and I wanted to take last year off no I wanted to take the year before last off and then last year off but then the shows came together and it was fine yes but now I really think I've just I've got absolutely zilch <laughs> so have you have you mined your every experience have you are you like when you say there's nothing in the tank no i've got eight hilarious stories that i haven't put in any edinburgh shows before <laughs> yeah i have absolutely mined the tank but also um uh, i think a good reason not to edinburgh is to have something else to do and i'm doing a tour with ellis in the autumn yes so it's not like i'm i think if i had nothing on i would be super uh feeling super guilty and anxious because i'd be like well you're just you're gonna sort of get behind the pack Yes, I think that's maybe what I was driving at. Yes. Yeah, but no, because we've got a, I've got a project on and every time I've wanted to not do Edinburgh before, it's always just been to do nothing. And I know deep down that that's the wrong reason to not do it. I think it's probably best to do it when you've got st- other stuff to do. Yes. Now we'll come back to the podcast. I definitely want to talk about that. We talked, we'd, we'd sort of been uh, emailing about the possibility of doing like a special episode with you and Ellis together, mm. because there's a lot, I, I'm now experiencing a thing that a lot of people say to me, which is, oh, it's quite weird you being in the room because I listen to your podcast an awful lot. I'm mm. a huge fan of yours and Ellis' oh, show. Thanks, man. And I believe your uh, tour has sold phenomenally well. In certain regions. In certain regions. Okay, yeah, fair enough. In other places, it's sold Good. hilariously badly. Because I remember the two episodes where in one episode you're going, oh, Jesus, we're doing the Shepherd's Bush Empire. And in the next episode, you're going, we've sold it out. How is that, yeah. how is that possible? Um, the Swansea Grand, however, still, <laughs> still plenty of tickets left. <laughs> so you want to available. drive to Swansea. Okay, well, it's, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, come, come back, back to that. that we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about your half of that in a bit. Um, but just let's stay with this idea of having nothing in the tank. Do you feel that when you take a show up to Edinburgh, you are like, what's the proportion of the material in your show? That is like, what proportion of it is stuff that's happening in my life at the moment that I have to talk about? And what proportion of it is I've got to find a thing to talk about? I'd say mostly it's stuff that's happening but the sort of way in which i would go about writing an edinburgh show is start with oh because you asked me to bring along a a notebook if i used one so i got rooted out the notebook i had in edinburgh for my edinburgh show uh three years ago okay and it was amazing because i'd never really thought about how if there's any sort of um defined 
system I have, but it the notebook starts with all the stuff I didn't use in the previous year's Edinburgh show. Okay. In about September. Right. And then sort of gets added to, and it was quite interesting. And th- there was bits from that notebook that I used in last year's show. Okay. So stuff that didn't make it into the next one. And Okay. I always feel slightly guilty about doing that. I've got two bits, quite good bits, that didn't make last year's show. And I'm at least confident that they're good bits. It was just there sort of wasn't really room for them. Mm. They're both about alcohol, and I felt like I'd got enough stuff about alcohol in last mm. year's show. And, uh, and I feel slightly guilty about... Okay, new show, page one. Well, there's still there's still all this stuff mm. because I feel like that must mean that I'm someone that isn't kind of living in the moment and writing about my current experience. I'm sort of I feel a bit craven, you know, yeah. that, that I'm kind of going. Well, I, I that is unused. But then you wouldn't you wouldn't sort of say oh, I can't talk about this because it happened to me when I was a kid. Therefore, I'm not I'm not being efficient enough with my. With my observations, well, about I will the world. think that now. Now that you've raised <laughs> the spectre of that, <laughs> but I, I would say sort of ninety percent of it is stuff that happens in the process of writing it, and ten percent is sort of the argument you put in between the bits. Yes, to make it. I've, I've listened back to the two and of your wise. Sh- <laughs> and wise. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> I've listened back to the the two. I think there's only two shows on Bandcamp. Yeah. Is that right? This tornado and Where Is My Mind? Yes. And we, remind me which way round those are. So Where Is My Mind was 2013. Okay. This tornado loves you is 2014. Gotcha. Okay. So and and I think it's. I mean. JohnRobbins.bandcamp.com. I will link to it. <laughs> I won't remember to link to it, but, that, but that's what it is. <laughs> um, and uh, again, there's, let's put a little pin in a thing of uh, we'll talk about releasing your own stuff somewhere down the line as well, because we mm-hmm. had quite an interesting conversation about that earlier. Um, but the the content of those shows, I was listening back to them. I saw, what, I saw uh, Where Is My Mind live in the attic and uh, listening back to both of them, I was sort of... With listening both in in close proximity, did you actually record them together? There's no. something in the, the beginning of the recording. You, you say "Welcome back" at the beginning of the. That's because um, they were both recorded at the Comedy Box in Bristol, and um, the first the way I did those two tours was the first thirty minutes was just sort of riffing, okay, and banter of a very high pedigree, <laughs> and then there was an interval, and then I'd do the hour show. Because I felt that those two shows d- didn't work if you broke them up into two halves over yes. a tour. Okay. Um, whereas this last show, I've I, there's a there's a definite edit point in the show. I've just finished touring. Whereas I preferred to do sort of like some chat off the top and some new stuff, and then and then say right, we'll come back after the interval and gotcha. that'll be the show. Okay. But those those two shows in particular, I feel from the outside that those are the ones where Robbins hit his stride. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Well, do you do you think that's true? Uh, absolutely, but not. N- I, d- I wouldn't say comedically. It was more that I was much. I was much happier in myself writing those shows because a number of things had changed for me career wise and. Um, sort of personally that meant I was coming from a much sort of stronger uh, well not stronger as long as a much more stable place okay to explain that. all of those things <laughs> um, well when I I sort of didn't my first show was in 2009 my first solo show and for the next one two three four shows 
I was kind of, um, okay, we'll take, go a bit further back. When I lived in Bristol, I lived with other comedians, mm-hmm. I lived with Russell Howard, John Richardson, Mark Oliver, and that was 2006 slash seven. And there was a very sort of, I, I learned from them a very, uh, sort of clear way to progress in comedy. And I saw it happen to all of them and it was a sort of wonderful experience. So you would do, I learned how to get gigs, how to get paid gigs, how to compare, how to open, how to all this stuff, how to, you know, I got in the comedy zone in Edinburgh, which is like a package show that people do. And it was all like that. That was, it was all going the right way. Mm. And then in about sort of 2009, I did my first show and then it just all kind of stayed the same for ages. And it, and looking back now, what happened is the sort of the landscape had changed quite significantly um, in terms of sort of how you progress as a comedian career-wise. And I spent, I would say, th- four years not really dealing with that. And okay. And just, it was in Bristol quite, quite down. Because I was thinking, well, this, hang on, I've done the Edinburgh show. Where's, where's my award? Where's mm-hmm. my agent? Where's mm-hmm. my, you know, TV debut or whatever? And it just didn't come and didn't come and didn't come. And then, uh, because basically the amount of comedians that were exploded, the way comedians um, got to be on telly changed. And then in 2011, which was a bad year, there came a sort of crisis point where I think that the way you deal with not being where you want to be, you either do it by being very bitter or you deal with it by going, okay, what are you doing wrong? And what's, what are other people doing that you're not doing? And I spent a while being a bit bitter and getting quite drunk in Edinburgh and making a bit of a tool of myself. Okay. And then you go, all right, well, this needs to change. So what do you need to do? And then you, well, you need to A, B, and C. And then you do that. And then suddenly things start to get a bit better. So that, so that, where is my mind? The show I did in 2013. It's the first time I'd ever been to Edinburgh with an agent. Okay. When you think about it, you do four, four shows, a double header and a two package shows. None of, at none of those points did I have a functioning agent. Okay. I mean, Daryl. But okay. like someone who's actually in any way of sort of use. So I'd, I'd been um, essentially treading water, but, but not because I was sort of being um, remiss. It was just because I was like, you just, as my stepdad would say, you're sort of fighting in a thunderstorm. Yeah. Because you can't go up there with no PR and no agent and no posters and, and all of this stuff. As much as I... Th- really hoped you could yes you can't you some people can yeah but they were more talented than me (laughs) (laughs) it's really interesting to to talk about this because i think you are i I think this this bit of your career that kind of the difficulty of going why isn't this happening for me like it is for my close friends and indeed housemates yeah why isn't this happening for me like it is for my much more talented peers (laughs) well I, i think that element and i'm really uh i'm really pleased for you that you are out of that feeling mentally and that you are now being successful on your own terms because of the the actions you've taken um and if that doesn't sound patronising, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased no, to it, see it. But it act, absolutely has to be from the actions you take. And everyone's in control of that. You know, there's be so many people in points in their career like I was who are just 
hitting their head against the wall, not just the actual wall, but the sort of wall of the of comedy going, why isn't this, why is stuff happening for other people and not me? Yeah. And the fact is that A, sometimes things never, and a lot of stuff has, I haven't, hasn't happened to me that I would like to happen, but it's in, it's sort of in your control to a point and it's realizing that, that then you suddenly, you, you're suddenly empowered to change things because if you're, and I speak as someone who's sort of been through this process, if you're blaming other people, gatekeepers, <laughs> kingmakers <laughs> if you think that there's some sort of conspiracy against you or you're blaming audiences which is a bugbear I have of people who are so confident in their own material and decisions and performance that they blame audiences then you never ever learn because you're not listening to what you're being told and it, you know it took a while but it was I was like okay what are you not doing right were well, you doing the same gigs year in, year out. And it, I got to the point where I was booking in gigs that I'd done, I'd been doing for sort of three or four years and I was having the same diary and the same trips around the country. And it was so hard to come to terms with the fact that no one is coming to that gig in Loughborough. Mm-hmm. No one who can make any difference to your career. And that's not to say that doing gigs in Loughborough isn't a wonderful living mm-hmm. and doing the circuit in inverted commas isn't what most people give their high teeth to do. But if, if you're not happy with that sort of conveyor belt, then you need to work out what you're doing wrong. So I, I stopped doing some of those gigs, had some really horrible conversations saying, I just can't, I can't book in to compare this gig in a year's time because I don't want to be comparing this gig in a year's time. I didn't say that bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just, and then I had to move to London, which I didn't want to do. And that was really hard because essentially you're like an open spot again, which is a really good thing to go through, like ego-wise and learning-wise. Yeah, it's not really something that has you licking your lips in anticipation, does it? Oh, no, th- this will be good for my ego. <laughs> I'd been I'd been like living off comedy for sort of five or six years, and I said, okay, you move to London. If you break even, then that is a result. And even now, you know, I don't necessarily gig for all the people I'd like to gig for, but. It's that thing, isn't it? The harder you work, the luckier you get. And that was definitely the case. So I stopped doing the easy stuff. Like I stopped doing the gigs, which meant I could get back to Bristol for last orders. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That was such a bleak time. Though, excellent pubs. Yeah, yeah. So sort of swings and roundabouts. So I I think there will be a lot more people listening to this interview who have felt or do feel the way you're describing that kind of that morass that sort of like why am I why isn't this happening for me I've done all the things I'm supposed to do then there will be people listening to other episodes of this show going oh I I totally uh, uh, empathise with Ross Noble's problems or Dara O'Brien's problems you know sure um, so can you you've mentioned something very specific there I just wonder if you can be more specific about the other the other ABC aspects of this so one of the decisions is stop doing the same diary because that can that can feel like a success can't it because you're making money yeah but also the what main, meant I took so long to realise is that was the thing you did that's what I'd seen I'd had this really lucky experience of being able to witness you know John Richardson Russell Howard Mark Olver's careers from almost start, but not quite, but certainly the points at which they broke and, and went big. And so you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm doing all the same things they do. I'm doing all the same gigs they did. I'm doing the Edinburgh Showcase they all did. I'm, you know, 
but why is no agent coming up to me after a show and going, hey, John, I really enjoyed your set. We should, uh, we should talk. Were you inviting agents to come and see you? Yeah, and they all came on the shit days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but th- that, I mean, even with that, you think, come on. And then, to the, and then once you're sort of four Edinburgh shows in, you're thinking, fuck, this is not going to happen. In, and then my fourth Edinburgh show was about that sort of process when I got, um, I got booked in to do my first panel show and they called me the day before and said they'd replace me with Amy Childs. And that was the worst moment. That was one of two sort of worst moments in my career. Okay. But that then became, that then became the sort of the thrust of that Edinburgh show. And what was really great is I was sort of thinking, right, yeah, I'm going to turn it into a great Edinburgh show. And then you do the Edinburgh show and it's the same again. You're in the caves and it's wet and doing it to tourists who don't know who you are. And you're thinking, oh, this is the worst. And it was at that point that I said, I need to, I need to change something. So this is John. It's so good. John is at one of those really exciting stages of being a comedian, I think. A lot of it's exciting, and then sometimes you plateau, and then sometimes you get a spurt on. And John has been enjoying a, a spurt for the last couple of years, and uh, and it's really exciting to see him doing as well as he deserves to, to see him kind of on a, on a, uh, a, a track. And as I said before, his podcast with Alice is just superb. Uh, we talk about that a little bit more. Um, in the in the extras of this show, uh, you can download from comedianscomedian.com uh, forward slash Robbins. I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to have to write that down now because I haven't actually made that work yet, but it'll be live by the time you hear this. Um, comedianscomedian.com forward slash Robbins, R-O-B-I-N-S. Uh, you can hear extra material from this very long interview that we did. We talked for ages, um, so you can hear some extra stuff about emceeing. John is an absolutely brilliant MC and so if you're interested in comparing or how to host a night then you'll definitely want to hear that Uh, we talk about the influence of Steve Coogan on John's stand-up and we also talk about a particular routine of John's that pastiche the work of a fellow comedian so uh, lots of interesting stuff there at comedianscomedian.com forward slash Robbins couple of things to mention before we get stuck back in Uh, Tony Law is coming back on the show you'll remember um, a very memorable interview with Tony Law when he was in a state of extreme refreshment some years ago and uh, there's a lot to say about that and Tony is going to come round and we're going to do uh, a very sober and clean lunchtime special um, in a week or two so that's coming up soon you've got about a week to jump onto the Comedians Comedian Facebook group and uh, you can give us your questions for Tony Law there I'm really looking forward to that and sooner than that even sooner than you'll hear that episode um, Tony is at the Leicester Square Theatre from the 21st to the 29th of October I cannot recommend seeing him enough um, go and see him live and get your research in for what I'm sure is going to be a really exciting podcast so um 21st to 29th of october a lesser square theater if you haven't seen tony before it's just a brilliant show with which to to meet him uh, and if you have seen him before then as you'll know he is constantly evolving i haven't seen this whole show but i saw him warming up some of the material uh, for it a few months ago and just i mean he's just indescribably good so go and see him and then we'll all try and describe how good he is thank you as well for your suggestions re my big american decision um more on that later on still giving a lot of thought but thank you those of you who've been in touch um and uh, yeah extra material available and oh i tell you what i've slightly i don't know if i mentioned this i, I think i mentioned this but i don't know if i cut it last episode i i feel like i have slightly over internationaled the recent release schedule i've got i'm swimming in episodes and most of them are with people that i targeted 
when I was either in uh, Montreal or at Edinburgh, people that don't usually come to the UK. So I thought, oh, quick, grab them. And then I look at all the releases I've got coming up, and there's uh, there's very few uh, Brits or uh, based in Britain acts on there. So which UK headliners do you want to hear from? I'm, I'm doing a new raft of bookings now. I've got a big, long list of existing people, but I also want to make sure that I don't just do the people that I would most easily uh, think of. So pick your favourite UK headliner that you would like to hear from, UK-based, uh, and let me know on Facebook only. You can email me about other important burning issues, info at comedianscomedian.com. But uh, as we all know, I really like to keep that, <laughs> that admin as tight as possible because I'm trying to get so much shit done. So um, feel free to, uh, to email me if you ever need to, info at comedianscomedian.com, and just put PS, I'm a cool guy, at the bottom of your message. And that is a code that lets me know that uh, I can just give you a, a one-word answer, safe in the knowledge that you'll know that I have read the entire thing. Um, so uh, join the Facebook group for questions for Tony Law and to select one don't be giving me a great big list you only get one vote which UK headliners do you want to hear from next so that's all for now other than just to say thank you for your continuing donations thank you anyone that's uh, set up a recurring payment at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate or you can find it from the homepage Um, get yourself along there and send me a donation if you don't mind. I, that would be really... I'd really appreciate that. Um, as you'll know if you're following The Waffle, lots of exciting parenting things are coming right at me, and one of them is a certain amount of belt tightening that I'm having to do. Now, it may be that I change my existing policy of saving up all the money that's donated to this podcast and only ever using it for... Um, uh, for podcast-related things, like flying to festivals where I can interview people, stuff like that. It may be that the my current circumstances <laughs> mean that I need to start regarding some of it as wages. I feel like you'd be okay with that, um, but uh, perhaps if that's only just occurred to you, maybe this is as good a time as any to sign up for a regular donation of uh, a pound a month, or two pounds a month, or five, or even ten, whatever you like, uh, if you're enjoying the show and uh, you're finding that it stimulates your creativity or invigorates you in some way, you can also just do... Um, uh, a one-off donation of I mean you can do a pound a show if you want and we're heading for episode 200 so get those in now and save yourself 20 quid uh, or thereabouts um, you can uh, you can donate as much as you like and chuck me a little message on there as well uh, that helps me at the moment at least to keep the show ad free we will see what happens in future but um, thank you to those of you who've donated let's get back to John Robbins if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. 
or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You are a really good example of someone who, in finding your voice, has made a lot of things about you that might be perceived as nerdy or problematic you've made them really positive the case in point would be your farthing collection right the fact that you i believe collect farthings collected collected farthings um, but you'd be excited I, m- I remember ellis gave you one on the uh, he gave you a farthing on the show you, you were excited it was a good farthing yeah <laughs> it wasn't sort of the an idiot farthing that a farthing um knife would buy it was a it was a solid farthing okay <laughs> so you collected them and you like that is a really spotty thing to do right a what a nerdy thing to do What's spotty where have you got a that spot from? a nerd you know a spot okay no i've never heard that before <laughs> but in talking about it on stage you're kind of owning it do you see what i'm driving at that it's yeah you, you're kind of you've you seem to have embraced a lot of the i've never spoken about collecting farthings on stage i've never plumb i've yet to plumb the farthing well you bloody have i've listened to you on um on where is my mind you talk about farthings. what did i say about that yeah yeah yeah. You, it's a callback mate you say about four times do i yeah when you're talking about what a cool teenager you weren't Classic there was Robbins. i you use the word befarthinged <laughs> oh that's very funny i just completely forgotten that because i talked about it in the in the autobiography i wrote for the radio show a robins amongst the pigeons and, <laughs> yeah. and obviously yes. in the radio show so that's just more current in my mind yeah. but farthing is a very nice turn of phrase are you sure that's okay cool um, well the one that's released so it might be right. the tall one rather than the other one okay um but yeah, you- I think it was quite... Uh, I think you spend quite a lot of time worrying about how the stuff you say on stage is perceived. And uh, in my third Edinburgh show, which was called Lift Your Skinny Fists Like Antennas to Heaven, I sort of got caught up in a lot of uh, needlessly affected speech patterns, which weren't me, but I thought were funny. But it comes much harder to maintain that. So when we started doing the radio show with Ellis, if there's something which is sort of a semi-persona, on, that's fine for on stage or or uh, in stand-up, but you can't do that over a three-hour radio show. So immediately when we started, within like straight away I was me and Ellis was Ellis. And once you once you've comfortable with that, suddenly it sort of sets you free to um, to talk like that on stage. So any um, trappings of, of sort of um, artifice get shed away by being yourself every week for three hours with a friend who knows you. And so then that meant that in the shows I've done since then, the stand-up shows, so there's a bit in my most recent show, which I really enjoyed writing which is about my girlfriend leaving to go away and me being really excited to have some sort of time on my own and then catching sight of my reflection in the mirror and realizing oh no not you 
I hate you. <laughs> You're the reason we got a girlfriend. Which is, I think, a thing a lot of people experience. But I would never have said that. I would never have screamed at an audience, I hate you, in terms of me looking at myself in yes. the mirror, not the hate the audience. Yeah. But acting out me standing alone in my flat going, I hate you, <laughs> was it's great because that's what I feel like. But I wouldn't necessarily have said that before doing the radio show because we, you know, we talk a lot with, if, you know, if I'm feeling down or if I'm, I've had an anxiety dream, we'll talk about that in the show, which is really nice, I think, because so often you hear radio and it's that sort of radio voice talking about whatever the competition they're running or what they've done that day. But to actually be able to go, oh, I feel awful. I need an arm around the shoulder, L. And for him to go, oh, what's got you down this time? <laughs> it's quite nice. Um, not, maybe not particularly nice to listen to, as some of the texts in attest to. <laughs> but then that sort of frees you up to go, well, this isn't such a bad thing, you know. When you, when you mentioned the bits of artifice that you were able to shed, what kinds of things are you talking about? Is, like, is that sort of like your idea of what a comedian should sound like? No, not necessarily a comedian, but just sort of overly flowery language that I would never use off stage. So um, I went through a phase. Of, I was camper than I am on stage for about 12 months to 18 months. Suddenly started being very camp. And it was because of one, the opening line, the opening joke relied on them thinking I was gay. <laughs> but they sort of weirdly then became a thing. It sort of crept into other bits where I was, so I was sort of being too camp. <laughs> and then you realize, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm camper than some, less camp than others. But it was weird that I then had to sort of take, I'd put that in and then I had to take that out of my, of my set. But I was also quite camp at school. I wasn't camp. I don't know. I certainly, you know, I, I was the only person I knew wearing nail varnish as a man. But then you sort of, so I was then also connected with that bit of my childhood when I was talking about adolescence. So it all sort of came out with this sort of slightly uneven show. It's the only Edinburgh show I've not been particularly happy with. My third one. It was sort of, a, I would say, a period of transition. Which, which one was that? The, the, the third one, lift, 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 my, yeah. lift Your Skinny Fists. I mean, it still received five-star reviews, Stu, but it just shows never trust reviewers. <laughs> <laughs> so are you now in a position then, due to the podcast and due to that, that shedding of the artifice and finding your, your voice, are you now a more confident performer? Are you a more confident panel show guest? Well, I've yet to be a panel show guest, so that project is still ongoing. I wouldn't say that I was more confident. Um, I remember, i tell you what I'm getting at. I remember doing the re- I would say more comfortable. More comfortable, okay. Yes, not necessarily more confident. I don't think anyone what's was ever di- confident. What's, what's the dis- how distinguish between the two? Well, I sort of get I, what you mean, but... Well, being... I don't feel I'm, there are any sort of barriers between me and the audience now that I've imposed... But that doesn't necessarily mean I think I'm going to go on and uh, smash the tits off the gig, to use your phrase. I'm so regretting saying that. <laughs> a terrible thing to say. Actually quite sexist. Uh, yeah, I know. I realise that. <laughs> I prefer kick the penis out of the room. <laughs> when we did, I called it a read-through, but that's not what it was. You and I both did the uh, the kind of the run-through for... Done lots of run-throughs, mate. Done lot, have you? Have you done, done a few run-throughs? Done lots of office-based run-throughs. Very good at those. 
<laughs> Explain what those are for people who don't know Office what we're talking about. Office-based run-throughs are where someone comes up with an idea for a panel show or cheekily wants to rewrite it but doesn't want to pay writer's rates. So they get comedians who are unsuccessful enough to be free on a Wednesday afternoon for £120 check to follow <laughs> to come and sit in the offices of a production company in front of all of the people who work at the production company, run through a panel show, nail it, and then wait to see who they get for the actual TV. That <laughs> TV is record. exactly what that is. That's what they are. I'm good at those. I like those. They're good fun. And have you not had the opportunity thus far to do... To, you said that you talked about like getting unbooked for a, for a panel show. So you haven't done any panel show, but you did Alan Davies as yet untitled. I, yeah, I, d- I did. I've done stuff. I've done stuff on telly. Um, I've done Alan Davis as yet entitled. I did Stand Up Central. Um, I am I am booked to do a panel show. Okay, world exclusive. Hello, can you tell us which one? Um, There's been a lot of chat. There's a lot, yeah, of, a lot of buzz to, about uh, Robinson's upcoming <laughs> panel show appearance. Guys, just to quash all rumours that I will be chairing Question Time. <laughs> um, I'm booked to do Mock the Week. Okay. But uh, that could change. How are you feeling about it? Um, f- fine. It, what's sort of so strange is that for years that was like the... Um, that was the sort of Everest. That was the thing that... You know, that was my what I used as a stick to beat myself with. That I wasn't doing this show. And other, there are other sticks, other show sticks I used to beat myself with. But that was the uh, the most cruelly devised... Sort of had nails in it and stuff, and then they ask you, and immediately sort of felt sad because <laughs> you think, oh well, it's still me, it's still still to live in my mind <laughs> while I'm preparing for it, and so it's not like a punch the air moment. The only times I've ever punched the air is when I've come off stage. I don't punch the air when I'm sort of putting things in my diary because that would be ludicrous. <laughs> I'm sure some people do, but immediately you think, okay, well, this needs to go well and I need to make sure I'm prepped. But then other people, like I told my girlfriend and she sort of tried to give me a pep talk that I didn't really want. So I was like, stop talking about it. <laughs> and then she told my mum and then, I, you know, I'd just rather sort of deal with it in my own way in a, in my, in a room on my own sort of thing. Do you feel that you will be able to take some benefit from your extensive office run-through experience? Yeah, but the, it's difficult because I've also done... I've done, like, panel shows in Edinburgh with mixed results depending on, you know, how much drink is involved. From some really big highs to some phenomenal lows. <laughs> I feel that my experience mirrors that as well. Yeah. But live... live a bunch of nice people in a room. Oh, yeah. And you, sometimes you just feel like, I'm flying, I'm smashing this. Yeah. And other times you just say a thing, get nothing, and you're like, oh, well, that's one of the things we'd have, we'd have had to edit out. If yeah, we and you go into your shell and you say nothing else and you get red-faced. Absolutely. And you're sort of burning in your face. <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen. But, I, you know, I've, I think you... I am sort of a firm believer that you get opportunities when you're ready. And... So I'm not there thinking, yeah, it's about time. You, so you're about four years behind the John Robbins gravy train. I'm thinking, <laughs> well, no, it probably makes about makes sense that this has happened. Are you a firm believer in that in you get things at the right time? Are you that because you have had to learn to be? 
Because initially it sounded like you were a firm believer in I'm due this stuff now. Yeah, but you can only learn that through the hard way. You can't, if you get like, if you got mock the week when you've only been going two years, it, you would be an awful asshole if you said, yeah, you get stuff when you deserve it. Just so happens I deserve it about eight years before you dweebs. I think we all know people who probably have approached it with that point of view, do you think? Um, yeah, maybe in their own mind, but I've never heard anyone be that awful about it in person. No, sure. But I'm sure there are people who go, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What I'm, I suppose what I'm talking about is humility. I feel I have a certain degree of humility. I don't know if you can say that one say, well, can, can one say oneself to, has humility. I was about but to make a quip. The, uh, the point I'm making is that a lot of that humility, I think, has been earned by not getting things I thought I should have got. But no one should get anything. You know, no one... No one is preordained to deserve things more than other people. It's just it at some times. If, if you think about a panel show, for example, if you have a great episode of Mock the Week, you may get four lines or five lines in that edit, and that is a really good result. Now, in order for someone to be funny and to, for the audience to make a connection with them based on five or six sentences, that person has to be absolutely instantly definable as what they are. So that has, person has to be, that is the quick Irish guy. That is the lovable Cockney. That is the... Um, Go on, girl do, one. Do, yeah. <laughs> Go on, John. Like, Here, but, take this petard. That is, that is their... That is, I am appropriating their thinking there. Yes, I, I don't understand. mean that. But you have to... That is the sort of bemused northerner person. That is the angry niche man. <laughs> but, you know, it makes absolutely sense. I've never seen anyone regularly on a panel show and thought, why are they there? Because you think, well, of course I know why they're there because I, they are making me laugh on their terms yep. in a sentence. Yeah. So the idea that I would expect someone to get me on these shows when you're thinking, so what is that? Well, he's that guy, he used to collect farthings and he sort of gets quite down. He's relatively good off the cuff. He does good long form stuff. Um, he, you wouldn't want him sort of uh, headlining a club set on a Saturday night. He's that, well, who's that guy? That's about a thousand people. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to go, well, we'll select that person who would make no connection with the audience whatsoever over the course of two minutes. However, now I can understand, yeah, maybe it does make more sense that I would be asked to do that because, you know, I'm more visible. I'm, I'm sort of more comfortable in my own skin. I would like to think that I'm regularly very funny with Ellis in short bits over the course of a radio show slash podcast, you know. But so you can't you can't be angry with a system that you are not at all suited to. Er, does that make sense? And yet you, you were I mean? at the time. You were in this dark period. Yeah, but I you never were, followed... You did feel entitled. You did feel like you should have been given this stuff. Yeah, but I never followed that argument through to its logical conclusion. Because if you're angry about not getting something or not being involved in something. Because my sort of one of my sort of major insecurity is not is not being invited to the party. That's my major sort of if you want to press my buttons, then don't invite me to your great party that everyone else is getting invited to. And that's like from school. 
so that was what was being triggered by all that stuff happening is why aren't I at the great part why am I why is no one why, why is no one asking me why do, and that's all because of sort of uh, school stuff however the logical conclusion to the argument why aren't I doing that thing is to answer that question why aren't you doing that thing what, oh, oh, maybe it's because of that thing I said to that person in the Brooks Bar when I was shit-faced. Yeah, well, then maybe that is part of it, mate. Maybe, maybe it's because I didn't do that gig in London with the, where the people came to watch because I did that gig in in you know Newport because it was more money. You know, what all these little decisions you make. Maybe it's because I didn't work hard enough. Maybe it's because that Edinburgh show wasn't good enough. And and what you realise is at the end of that frustration is a set of things that you are entirely in control of. So then you just have to decide whether you want to sort of do them or not. Does that sound encouraging? I want to be encouraging to people. I think it is. I think it's enormously encouraging because you're actually telling the truth about it. Mm. And this is, you know, I, I know you have listened to some episodes of this podcast and I think some of the ones that are most useful for people who are not yet super famous comics are people being honest about the the difficulties? I think some of the the higher profile acts I get on this show. Someone you need to be very high profile before you can admit weakness, or or but, not yet very high profile. You know. But a point worth making is not everyone can become super famous comics. Not everyone wants to become a super famous comic. Like I don't think either you or me will ever be. I'm sorry to break this to you, Stu. A super like an insane level. This is fucking bullshit. <laughs> but like an insane level comic because i don't think it suits the sort of comedy we do your comedy would not make sense at the o2 it would not make sense it just so an example i could i could sit here and go why aren't i doing the o2 why aren't i playing to eight thousand people if i did my edinburgh show to eight thousand people it would tank i could do it to 1,200 people. I'm sure it'd be absolutely great if anyone's listening. <laughs> but to 8,000 people... This is a line you have to walk, right? You yeah. have to be honest, but not too honest. But but it doesn't make... Your last Edinburgh show, what was the one we previewed together in the... What's it called? The Whack. Is it called The Whack? The Cat. Which, the where Coventry is it? Ack. Uh, the Warwick Arts Centre? The Whack, yeah. The, the Whack, Warwick yeah, Arts fine, Center. okay. Neither of those shows... When was that? Of, when did we preview together? Um, I don't think I, or I maybe do? it was just a circuit gig. I don't remember doing the Warwick Arts Centre in eight years and years. Um, you must be thinking about someone else, mate. Somebody wouldn't suit the O2. Someone who looked just <laughs> like me. Maybe it was me. Was it you screaming at yourself <laughs> in the mirror? <laughs> but, this is inappropriate for the O2! We have definitely done a preview together in the okay. last two years, and neither of those shows would, would work in front of 8,000 people. I think we both admit that. So then, the idea of us being frustrated that we're not doing... The O2, as an example, is ludicrous because you're not providing a product that's suitable for it. Um, I, I really dislike this notion that somehow comics are a different species, that like somehow we're different. And in my head, that voice is always American or Canadian. I'd say, guys, we're clowns, man. We're fucking clowns, man. We're different to you normal people. You just, you just fucking shovel shit in your office and we're, we bleed fucking pain and truth, man. That's all absolute bollocks. Comedians are all just people who used to teach or used to do data entry or, so anyone, it's not like you're a breed apart from anyone else. You know, we're, we're comedians now, but we used to be, what did you used to be? I can't. Street not, performer. I can't say on the show. I say, those, I say it too often. One of those nitwits with a chainsaw and a ladder expects you to give them loads of money. 
And, you know, I was working in a bookshop. So but I don't, I'm quite sure how that relates to what No, I well, I think that's interesting that, that that is your ability to admit that now mm. is that seems part of you finding your voice. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Like your ability to be forensic about yourself and go and lay yourself bare and be honest to take and this is a clowning thing to take responsibility for how shit you are i think that's one of the hardest things that's the thing i struggle with most in comedy because for me my school issues were my school issues were all about hide who you really are because they don't like you and actually to be able to stand there on stage and go this is who i really am not to say out loud guys this is who i really am but actually admit that you used to collect farthings or, you know what I mean? And stand yeah. there and go, yep, that was me. I but, did this. But I'd have no problem with people knowing I used to collect farthings. It's a bad example. But I, it was not that I was anything I was thinking, well, you can't do stand-up about that because that's too embarrassing or people won't like that. It's more that other stuff gets pushed to the front of the queue, often just through completely arbitrary reasons. Like, that's the bit you've got 10 funny minutes about. You know, if you've got 10 funny minutes about something that paints you in a positive light versus an idea about something that doesn't, then obviously you're just going to go with whatever's funniest because it's August in a week and, you know, you've got to get shit done. Just for the benefit of anyone listening, it isn't August in a week. Calm down. (laughs) And if it is, no problem for me. I'm not doing Edinburgh, suckers. But all the very best. But, um, yeah, what I think... What I mean by being encouraging is that often you are in absolute control of of the th- things that are not meaning you're not where you want to be. That said, some people aren't very good at comedy, and that's fine as well. And you're in absolute charge of coming to terms with that and finding other job. You know, not there isn't not everyone can be you know a stadium super touring comic. Not everyone can be. Um, mid-level circuit comic yeah absolutely and I would encourage you for Stu's sake don't try because he needs that niche guys <laughs> so cruel that was a that was a very yeah don't, just because I'm self-aware doesn't mean I can't be a cunt <laughs> Do, will you bleep that no 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 oh really yeah oh dear <laughs> maybe I always think it sounds better bleeped swearing it's not your podcast, mate. No, it's not. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get my producer to bleep it. <laughs> I'll just bleep it. Sorry, I don't swear usually. Um, let's talk about cruelty. Yeah. Oh God, what have you heard? <laughs> what What are you worried I might have heard? Well, any number of appalling things, like appalling things you've done on stage or off stage. What do you? What do you? This- I've done very few. Um. I am very much a back foot player on stage. So my sort of memory bank of things I've said, which I wish I hadn't, are small, but that doesn't mean they don't burn bright in the <laughs> dark hours before the dawn. But I can remember like ma- the sort of three or four times I've said something to an audience member, which I really regret. Go on. Or, or I've snapped. and So twice, um, uh, both of the comedy books in Bristol, someone guessed the punchline of a joke and said it out loud. And... A long bit, like a three or four minute bit, and they've sort of preempted the end. And I have almost had in my locker, for some reason, the sort of thing I might say if that happened, like a really cutting remark. And I've said it, and I've been 
immediately felt, oh my God, that person didn't know that they were saying your punchline. You nor, nor did they know that you, you're motivated by fear and preciousness because you feel secretly in your heart of hearts, you're like, shit, my punchline's guessable. Yeah, not exa- a very good yeah, comment. Exactly. Yeah. And then a few times just with sort of bits of audience banter that I've just gone the obvious route or said something about someone's appearance, which is another thing I don't like. But luckily, yeah, they're few and far between because I prefer to sort of be on the back foot when comparing and let the audience sort of be as much a part of it as opposed to just waiting for someone to to slam down. Let's- That's not to say I don't come out with some cracking slams, but you sort of wait till they've teed you up. As opposed to, because if someone throws you a ball and you knock it out of the park, that's brilliant. If you just go up to someone with a bat and start whacking them around their head, <laughs> that's not particularly, you don't look very, that's you don't come out of that very well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You are very fond in your Edinburgh shows that I have seen of uh, using literary allusions, references to poems you've read, books you've read. Yep. Is that because you're pretentious? Um, no, it's because I'm well read. Is the difference is how you use it. Often I think it's much easier to form an idea of what you're trying to say in a show if you can relate it to something that says it much more succinctly. So, uh, so my Edinburgh shows are named after songs and that's just so helpful to me in terms of the sort of atmosphere of the show, if that doesn't sound... That's a slightly pretentious, I guess, but the only one that didn't was Incredible Scenes, which was about... So my career going badly. <laughs> oh, that was the one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, quotes from, I guess, the odd poem or the odd song or whatever are just very good at furthering your argument. And it's like an essay. In an essay, you, you should be using as many quotes as possible to back up what you're saying. I don't see why comedy should be any different to that. To an essay? Yeah. Okay. Because a, a, I, th- I think my, my style of comedy needs an argument over a course of an hour or an hour and a half to keep people... You need to, that's the sort of engine to get to the next bit. So if that's the case, then that's because this. And so because of that, here's what I think. And those are sort of the little middle bits in between the sort of set pieces that I think make up an Edinburgh show that stop it just being a collection of routines. And often, you know, a quote from a from a, liter- a literary quote or whatever is a useful way of doing that. Mm. Do you think there is the danger of shows, I don't mean your shows, do you think, like, it, I think it's fairly well known now that there are certain formulas for a successful Edinburgh show. What are your feelings on that? You know, the, the classic, you know, 40 minutes in, there's a lull, you do something that isn't stand-up or is something audience-based or some sort of emotional climax happens. But those as, things- as someone who is very, you, very structurally adept. Thanks, that's very kind. Other structurally adept comedians are available. <laughs> um, but those things are all there for a reason in that people are not maybe either want to give a bit of structure to an hour, which is absolutely fine, or they want the audience to go out on a high, which is fine. The 40-minute lull thing I maybe don't agree with quite as much because I think if, you, if you're actually you're, you're then writing in a lull which seems perverse. You know, there's no lull if you... I mean, obviously you have to pace it, but to go, oh, I need this here because there'll be a lull. Well, just don't make there be a lull. <laughs> just don't, don't write that bit Don't in. drop the ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like a sort of football team going, well, we need, we'll need to press in the final third because we're going to 
concede. <laughs> don't, don't concede. But um, you know, those things I've seen, again, I don't watch enough shows in Edinburgh when I'm up there. And every time I do watch shows, it makes me feel better about everything. But the ones I have seen, I've, I've never thought, oh, you should have had a lull, a, a, a lull defender in that bit or... Some okay. Sometimes I think ending on a song is annoying. <laughs> that part, that's all I can really say. Have you ever? Have you ever? Or what thing? Or maybe maybe you've never done this. Have you ever seen a thing in someone else's show and thought, "Fuck! I wish I thought of that." Yeah, the, the entirety of Tim Key's show with a bath. Oh God! Yeah, I wish I'd thought of every single every bit, single every device. Is the way he looks. His, <laughs> The videos, I wish I'd filmed all of them. Uh, the poems, I wish I'd written. Oh. I saw the last ever um, staging of that at the theatre in London. And I'm so glad I did. Because that year in Edinburgh, like many years, you sort of, in your head, you start to think about who's going to get nominated. And then it is. And you immediately, well, I mustn't say this is a shared experience. But you build up this picture of who these people are. And you're like, oh, that's just an actor. That's just an actor. Oh, that person's just an improviser. Oh, oh, and that person's just one of those emotionally manipulative people. Oh, yeah. Oh, that lot again. And then you go and see the shows and you're like, oh, holy shit. (laughs) That person's insanely talented at comedy, doing something far different from anything I could ever conjure up. And that's so much more freeing than sort of you have this idea in your head. Well, that person's probably rubbish because they got something I didn't get. So there's probably a reason. And so to watch them, you think, oh, wow. Yeah, phenomenal. Of course, I didn't get nominated. You loon, you didn't even bring a bath. You didn't even have a bath over the whole course of the festival. You did a chortle conference thing. I saw you do a couple of uh, years ago. You did a, a talk. Did I? Yeah. And you were talking about uh, touring your own show. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it was it was interesting. But maybe Yeah, those are those I got asked to do that and you immediately feel, oh, yeah, I should probably be passing on a bit of wisdom to people. <laughs> and then you realise you're being asked because you Yeah, if you're, you're available. If you're shit and you haven't got an agent or a promoter, how do you do how do you tour your show? Yeah, I'll field that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you condense some wisdom from that for us? What how do you tour a show without any backing whatsoever? Yeah. You contact, uh, well, actually, it's not strictly true. Henry Widdicombe helped me book that tour. Okay. Um, uh, so I didn't have absolutely zero help. But you, you get your posters printed. You, you, so you contact the venues. You work out who's willing to take it on. You give them the blurb, your press release. You know, that's not a mad thing for them to receive a request from from someone wanting to perform at a theatre, that makes sense to them. They then make a judgment as to whether they it fits in with their... Um, I think that's quite key to, to realise that's not a mad thing. No. Like, you're, you're a performer. Yes, and they are. their job is to put on performances. So yeah. don't ever feel like I did for seven years, ringing for gigs and think just sort of trembling and think, oh, no, I won't. They'll think they'll laugh me out of the building if I, I call off the curb and ask to do a gig. They'll, they'll, think, they'll think I'm an idiot. They'll, they'll put down the phone and they'll all turn to each other in the office and go, ha, John Robbins after a bloody gig. What, what, what an idiot. They're expecting you to do that. <laughs> so don't be afraid. Uh, also, don't badger them. You know, yeah, get, yeah. get the message. Um, so if you contact a regional arts centre and say, hey, can I speak to who's programming your spring collection? And then you go, hey, um, and then send them a press release and 
you know, they might not, and they might. And the ones that do, you send your posters and flyers to, that then when you go and perform there, you can see in the box in the room that you're in your dressing room. And you think, well, that was a waste of time. That was 120 quids worth of posters and flyers, well stored in Lyme Regis. And uh, advertise it on Twitter and Facebook and try and do as much sort of PR as you can, local press and all that shebang. But it's much easier when it's done for you, I have to say. Where does it come from, the idea, in, in your psyche, where does it come from, the idea that people would put down the phone and laugh at you? Because it's old, it's little old silly Johnny Robbins who shouldn't be coming to the party, that everyone's at the party, and all the guys from off the curb are kings of the party. Ha! What a loser, thinking he could come to this party. It's all just, it's all sort of um, insecurity, I guess. This is something I talked to Russell about that I don't know if I left in the edit. I think I did. Maybe it's in the extras. He alluded to, with you know, which I, he was unspecific and I was respectful of that. He alluded to a a difficult thing happening at school mm. where he lost a load of friends. Mm. And him mentioning that made me go, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't enjoy school at all. But there was there was one particular bit that I found very difficult where someone kind of spread a rumor about me, a lie about me. Mm. Um, and I went, oh, God, I, hadn't, I haven't thought about that for years. Oh, if we delve into your school days, will we find a particular party that you genuinely weren't invited to? Or is it more of a... It was more, um, yeah, there were, that did happen on numerous occasions. Um, but it was more a sort of sense that you weren't, this sounds terribly needy, but you weren't part of the popular group. You were on the fringes of it. You could make a few of them laugh. But you just weren't the one who got the invites to the things and you'd hear about them the next day. Do you hear about he got off with her and you're like what how do you get off with her oh they were at the club what how do how what is the club how do i can i go to the club and you can't because you were busy at scouts anyway (laughs) (laughs) and i very much doubt they were being taught useful transferable skills at the club um but it was just this sort of this world that if you weren't, it was sort of being close to it was worth, worse than not knowing it was there. I mean, I say the club because in my case, this place was called the club. Okay. <laughs> and I only went to the club once. It was when England beat, England beat Holland 4-0 or 4-1 in the Euros. And you get there and you think, oh, it's just a couple of pool tables and a Coke machine. But that was like... That was just the place where all the stuff happened, where people got drunk, got access to alcohol, which I couldn't understand how they managed to do. Smoked fags, which I did do. That was the only cool thing about me at schools. I smoked fags. But you were, so I was sort of close to that group, but not quite there. I would never be my best friend's best friend. That was always a tricky thing. Okay, I'm just working that out. Yes, okay. That's, that's very poignantly put. Yeah, but... Uh, I guess so that's where that sort of inclusion thing comes from. And the problem is you I because I was sort of relatively confident in terms of being sort of quick-tongued, I would get myself in trouble because I would deal with that feeling of not being included by being overly sort of sort of try and make up for that confidence through jokes or 
sometimes, I guess, being a bit mean. Because I always see myself as having been bullied at school. But my worst fear is that there are people from my school who go, no, you're a dick to me, actually. And that's the that's the worst fear. That is... <laughs> I was going to say, that is something no one's ever said on the podcast. And I mean that in a really good way. No one's ever been that honest on the podcast. I don't mean, oh, I haven't had any bullies on till, uh, <laughs> till Robert's turned up. Yeah. I can think of uh, two people who I was probably a bit sharp to. Yeah. There are, I'm sure there are people whose memory of school, maybe two or three people who was like, oh, he sort of, um, he made life at school difficult because he would sort of steamroll over me in conversation or I was never violent to anyone, but because I got such shit from people in my year or the year above and I got beaten up a lot, inevitably that comes out somewhere else. And that might be in a, just a, a quip you make in class which you think is funny and everyone laughs, so you feel better because you got punched in the face at lunchtime. However, there's a person sat at the back of the class for whom that will always remember that quip, even though you haven't even thought about it. You're already, already onto the next hilarious joke you're making. But for them, that has a big impact. So sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Can you ever be free of that? Like, are you free of that now? No. Is that all in the past or will no. that be always be something you carry around? My, I would say my driving force is shame not sort of anger or injustice or uh, anything like that, or the truth, or all of those things. For me, it's sort of all about shame. And driving force in comedy, like wanting to yeah, overcome, yeah. To, to own shame, to overcome it, uh, to yeah, prove maybe. that you have nothing to be... No, no, because shame, I think, is... I think it's the most underrated emotion and incredibly powerful, because all the things you're ashamed about are stuff that actually doesn't really matter. Yeah. So I remember all these tiny little things, things I've said to people, things that honestly do keep me awake and I sweat lying in bed. I'll just pick one. That thing I said to that person or that time that person found out that thing or it's all like humiliation and shame, I think, are very uh, much more powerful emotions than we give them credit for. So then exposing them on stage, I guess, can be helpful, but I'm not sure that's necessarily why I do that. I'm not sure I'm fully there yet either. I don't talk about too much stuff that is my shame well. Although I did on a podcast with Izzy Sooty. She's got a podcast called The Things We Do For Love. Oh yeah. And it is just bullseye my shame well. <laughs> like okay. Idiotic stuff you did to for girls you fancied or boys you okay. fancied or whatever. And to actually say them on stage was just the it was a it's really funny and I enjoyed it but it was like that's the only time I've ever been in contact in front of an audience with this stuff and what's quite frustrating is I recorded that podcast about six months ago it's released four months ago and they haven't released any of the other ones yet <laughs> so it's just me <laughs> so that entire podcast so that, is, it's a hoax basically just it, so just, no one else has watered down the my shame well because there's all these other people who've recorded them. But it's like, get them out! Yeah. Get, get the other podcasts out so other people's shame wells can be mine, mined. Or, you know, mine are well. But anyway. Uh, so, yeah, that's funny. And I talk about that on the show with Ellis, and that's what I really like about that show, is that the, the radio show with Ellis, is that we're very honest about what embarrasses us or things we've done wrong. Yes. In a way that I I probably wasn't on stage until we did that show, uh, started doing the radio show. Like, we get people emailing in their anxiety dreams, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. To actually, yeah. 
to realize that everyone has those things and that, you know, people in an industry that you may see as being in comedy, people have all the answers or always know what to say, to know that they also have anxiety dreams or feel like the sort of the odd one out is, I think, quite quite cool in a mad way. I think that one of the, and I'll maybe save a further exploration of this line of questioning for when I get you and Ellison together. Mm. But I do think one of the, one of the, the great strengths of your show is that you're both the sort of awful nerdy neurotic one. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? As a, like, it's like neurotic cop, neurotic cop. Yeah. <laughs> sad cop, sad cop. Yeah, yeah, right. But what makes sense of it is that I have the ego and Ellis doesn't because otherwise it would be too drippy if it was yes. just too, so it's, yes. And it works because I am, I'm saying I, I always want to be right and the best and win. Whereas actually it's Ellis whose things are going quite well for. And that's the only way around that dynamic works. If the pompous, egotistical person is actually the failure and the laid back guy is actually doing quite well and filming series two of Josh. If it was me, if I was filming series two of Josh, I would be unbearable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also probably wouldn't be as good a program, but it would, that can't work that way around, which is why Ellis is such an amazing person to work with like that. Because he's remarkably laid back, even though he could he could floor me with a single punch. And he may this may be he may be playing the long game. You know, this might be the rumble in the jungle. But he doesn't. He goes, Oh, I'm fine. That's fine. Come on, John, you're doing all right. As opposed to going, Yeah, I am doing pretty well actually, mate, and you're not, and you shouldn't buck up your ideas. Because that would be awful. And then we'd have to stop. Thanks, man. Thanks. That was really enjoyed that. Last one. What would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone? Well, I have a running joke with my friends that my gravestone is going to be too big to fit in the graveyard because they'll always say, oh, that's my gravestone. And they're like, yeah, but... And this goes along with like a 10 CD sort of compilation set that everyone at the funeral gets given. There's about 10 <laughs> songs playing. So it's going to be a long, drawn-out affair. On um, my comedy gravestone... Um, I don't know. What sort of things do people say? <laughs> that'd, that? that'd do. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a, well, people interpret it in wildly different ways. I would have John Robbins, born 4th of May, 1982, died 1st of January, 2096. Um, so I've lived a long time. Never got ill or in any pain. <laughs> And had a bar in his house and um, a pub shed outside his house. Met Ronnie O'Sullivan and Brian May again and was friends with Brian May and went for a big piss up with Roger Taylor and really enjoyed doing his Edinburgh show with Ellis, who sadly passed away many, many years ago, <laughs> leaving his entire estate to John in a final move of kindness. Star of series three of Josh. And had a million pounds. <laughs> everyone answers it like yeah, that. Everyone says that, don't they? <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, man. 
So that was John. More material coming up, as I said, on a wide variety of topics. We talked for a long time, and John is admirably candid, as you can hear. If you go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash Robbins, there is an arcane, not entirely simple, but provably functional method by which, if you are on the Comedians Comedian mailing list already... Uh, if you're on my mailing list, then you can just put your email address in and you will get the stuff. Uh, you'll get the, the extra MP3, extra material. Um, and if you have not done that, then you can sign up there and you join the mailing list. And uh, and then you, in, in return, you get bombarded with up to two emails a year, if I even get my shit together that much. Um, but you can also get access to all of the other extra content. Um, I think if you go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash extras, then you can see all the extra content from any episode where there has been some. It's about ten or so. Um, so you can find the stuff from John on there. Email me info at comedianscomedian.com or follow me or tweet me at comcompod. I'm on Instagram as well, but I don't do anything with it. So if you want, <laughs> if you want to do that, then very, very occasionally I'll Instagram, a, I'll gram a picture. Um, but I'm, I don't know, that's slightly passed me by. Probably I'll, I'll try and rejudge my approach to that as well. Um, I think that's all of the stuff I need to tell you. Um, oh, I had this idea, right? I had this idea. It was called Hell Week. And what I was going to do was write all day and then do a preview all uh, that night and then do the same thing the next day, rewrite it and preview. I was going to do that for a week and I was going to call it Hell Week. As it is, with my calendar being what it is, um, it's two days. It was three days and now it's two days. Um, but they are the 20... These are not completely confirmed, so please double check. But I believe we're going to go for the 28th and 29th of November at Angel Comedy. I'm announcing this before I should, but I would like to give you a run-in to come and see that. Come and see me do some brand new, very shaky, very improvised, fucking about material that will probably only work if people like you come to see it. Um, and then I'll go away uh, the next day and rewrite it and rework on it and then try it again that night. If that works, if I get anything out of that, I'll try and put in a whole week of them another time um, before Edinburgh. But it's all about seeing if I can basically get the show written fast and then spend all year tightening it up. And then that way I can uh, have a life <laughs> rather than just a relentless podcast scribbling grind. So, um, I mean, I'm not going to write an entire Edinburgh show in two days, obviously. I've got some gear. I've got a good bit about an octopus. Let's see if that's still there. That is all of that stuff. And listen, sadly, and on a serious note, before I conclude the podcast and go into the waffle for those of you that are still with us, um, the very last thing is I had some bad news uh, recently, and uh, it will be regarded as bad news to lots of people on the comedy circuit. A gentleman by the name of Paul Levy has passed away. I don't know any of the details, um, but I found out uh, uh, about Paul's death, and I just wanted to dedicate this episode to him. He uh, he was a very familiar face in my audiences, and I know in a, in a lot of um, London-based preview and comedy show audiences, a lot of you will, will know Paul's face, even if you didn't know his full name. Um, he was someone who was, he's just one of those people who just turned up to everything and supported everything and had started writing uh, comedy himself and apparently started performing himself, although I wasn't lucky enough to see him. Um, and I just wanted to, what's the word? I just wanted to just mention him. I don't know, there's a, there's a proper word for it, isn't it? Com uh, commemorate him and his interest in comedy and his love for comedy and just to thank him publicly for uh, for all of the times he came to see my shows he's one of those people without whom the whole thing doesn't really work unless there are those kind of as a street performer I used to call them anchors if you get an anchor in the audience you can build people around them because you're like that guy's on board that woman's enjoying it they're gonna stay and I can build a thing around them and um 
So yeah, I just want to say thanks to Paul. I was very, very saddened to, to hear of Paul's passing away. That concludes the podcast. Thank you for listening. Extra material with John is up at comedianscomedian.com forward slash Robbins, and I've made that decision now. I will have to stick to it and somehow make that work, even if that isn't the usual system, because I've said it so many times. That's everything. I'll chat to you if you'd like to hang around. But for now, that concludes the podcast. See you soon. <laughs> so, ah, horrible about Paul. Horrible. Horrible. Doesn't death just jump out when you're least expecting it? I often... I often... Do you ever have this where you think to yourself that... Like, you injure your toe, and you think, God, my toe really hurts. I never really appreciated appreciated it when my toe didn't hurt. And then sometimes you think, oh, good. But you you never remember to think... Oh, I really appreciate having toes that aren't painful until you stub your toe and then bitterly regret it. I think death's a lot like that. You get used to the idea of everyone being themselves and getting older and then all of a sudden someone gets snatched away and it's, um, I don't know, it probably makes you think thoughts more deep and meaningful than I'm able to uh, articulate off the top of my head. But it's, uh, it's a right prick, isn't it? Um, I tell you what I'm doing at the moment. I'm absolutely, I mentioned the, the sort of hell week idea of uh, getting a load of previews done, which has turned into two rather pathetically. Three, I think, would have still had the spirit of the idea and two is, uh, is tiny. But there we go. Any, any, anything to force some discipline onto myself. Um, it, it's that time of year, isn't it? It's like, well, I've had, a, I've had a lovely September of having a tiny holiday and then getting a few things done. Uh, and now it's back into, oh, fuck, got to start the thing all over again. Um, here's a question. I've spotted a couple of, in ConCon parlance, tropes. I've spotted a couple of things I do in my hour shows. Someone, did I talk about this before? I get my memory for what I waffle about is, um, is not excellent. So apologies if you've heard literally everything I'm going to say and you, and you can actually speak along with all the revelation, revelations that I, um, that I had last time that I've since forgotten and now you can hear me having them again. But, I think I've spotted a thing that I do, and the temptation now is to fucking change it. But equally, part of it is like, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. There's a few enough of you listening to this, I'm sure. Um, I'm, I'm a big uh, revelatory sort of person. What I do with my shows, and this is kind of unconscious and half deliberate as well, I suppose is I, I try to resolve a thing with my shows. So my first show was... Well, the, the first show maybe was a different... The first show was sort of a statement of intent. And then the second show that I did, Another Lovely Crisis in 2011, was all about anxiety. It was a big show about anxiety. And then the third show, Prick, was kind of about sexual jealousy and sexual kind of guilt. And, you know, not that I banged on about that, but that was what I was writing to in the back of my mind. And then my fourth show, Extra Life, was about... Um, wanting to have a baby, but also it was about sort of talking to people and feeling lonely. If you listen back to it, it's a man who wants a baby in a family writing a show in a cafe and people coming into the cafe with their babies. That's basically what happened in that show. Um, and then uh, the show, some of you will have downloaded Extra Life and you can absolutely still do that. If you fancy going to the website, it'll link you to the Bandcamp page. I think comedian.com forward slash shop will get you there. Um, and uh, my show last year that I toured, the earlier tour, an hour, um, that, it, well, I won't give that away because I'm taking it on tour. Um, oh, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> I toured that already. Um, that show, obviously, uh, was about, it was sort of, it tried to be about nothing, but I couldn't help it being about uh, a breakup and me kind of pulling my socks up 
uh, without wanting to give too much away, because I will be making that available for purchase also, you better believe it. Um, and then the, this show, compared to what, that I'm, I'll be touring soon, remember the, I'm announcing the dates on the 21st of October, and do join, do jump on the Facebook group if you haven't already, or add me on Facebook, or find my, uh, my Facebook comedian page, Stuart Goldsmith Comedian, my fan, fan page, laughably so-called. Um, who knows which one of those works, that's a topic for another time. Um, but jump on there, because on the 21st of October I'm gonna do a, a fun kind of live announcement, live video announcement thing that may or may not be interesting or novel. Um, so, back to the point, Goldsmith. Um, yes, yeah, so, and then compared to what was about something which I won't go into detail about if you haven't seen it. So I've always tried to write stuff, and within the shows themselves, I've always tried to write a show which contains something genuine. It was sort of an attempt for me to work something out. It was an attempt for me to work out a problem. Like, I, I'm, like I'm lonely. I'm going to write this show. I'm depressed. I'm going to write this show. I'm depressed about something specific. I'm anxious about something specific. I'm worried about this aspect of my life, you know, having a child or wanting to or whatever. And I wanted to work through that in the show. Now, I don't think comedy itself is therapy. And that's the mistake I made with the second show. I slightly overdid that. Um, but I do think that the process of sitting down and writing and refining and, and structuring and everything else, I'd want there to be an honest revelation. Now, I've spotted that. It's revelatory. Someone came out of uh, one of my shows this year and said, oh, it's always good to see uh, what's happening next in the soap opera or the melodrama. I can't exactly remember exactly what he said. And if that's you, thank you. I, I appreciated the comment. Um, but I, I did, part of me was like, yeah, God, it is. It's a bit of a soap opera, isn't it? And I suppose now I'm, I'm at the crossroads of going, well, look, now that I've spotted that I do that, do I go, right, I've spotted it, bin it, smash it, change the, you know, smash the system, uh, uh, what's it called, um, uh, uh, well, not smash the, not smash the fucking system, what's the phrase, disrupt the routine, Dis- very, very different, disrupt the routine, change it up, and certainly there is a part of me that just wants to do the silly stuff, that feels like, I, I don't need to be writing Inception every time, I don't need to be trying to, I don't need to be wasting time in, in cafes and writing environments, tr- working out what it means, I should just write the jokes, they make me happy, they make the audience happy. So, do I do that, or do I go, no, 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 I'm onto something here, and, as my partner is getting to point out, that is a true reflection of who I am, and you can hear it, you can hear it in the bones of this podcast, I am someone who constantly experiences huge revelations about things, oh, the world is like this, oh, I'm like that, oh, people are like that, so I've got the choice, really, of do I, do I go forward with that, and do another, okay, what, what, you know, there's like the sorts of things that are in my mind at the moment are, you know, I mentioned ages ago, me getting angry, experiencing anger as a dad, feeling confined, feeling like, um, like I was, uh, like I, I was a bit, um, just frustration, really, and then frustration with my partner, frustration with my baby. Stuff that I've never had to, I've never undergone before because my life has arguably been pretty easy, you know. All the difficult stuff is self-inflicted. Suddenly there are actual parameters in my life. There's actual responsibility, financial obligation. There's, there's you know, huge lack of personal social time. And, and that frustration. So I could write something about anger. That's quite interesting. I can be a bit of a cock when I'm angry. I don't like that part of myself. Where does that come from? Okay, I could investigate that. Is that the show I want to write? I feel like I could, I could take that and goldsmith it. I could get a load of stuff out of it. But I, I sort of started to feel like... I mean, and that's just one example. There's a lot of different things in my head I could talk about. But... Um, but I sort of caught myself going, Oh, I suppose I could do that with it. And I went, Ooh... 
don't do that. Don't just, don't just, don't recognise, oh, there's a track. I guess I'll go down the track again. Or, like a painter trying to nail the landscape, you know, do I, <laughs> not a phrase, do I go, ah, I do this, let's really go for that. Let's really try and refine that. Now I've spotted it, now I get the chance to say something that is more meaningful than the last few shows, or more honest than the last four sh- few shows, or, or you know, the, the, the revelations I undergo, you know, the, the working out, the attempt to solve a problem gets deeper and further into it because it's you know I've enjoyed a, a limited amount of success with that in the past and I'm, I mean that entirely in you know, artistic terms you know success on my own terms I, I do feel like those shows that I wrote to fix something in me worked they did I'm, I'm way happier now because I've sorted out a load of issues largely by fucking fixating about them for a year and then banging on about them to audiences in return for tiny pots of cash so that's the question. More or disrupt the routine? Hmm. Trixie, I think I'm going to go put the boy to bed. Um, that will do for now. You can find more of Robbins on the website, as per. Info at comedianscomedian.com if you would like to get in touch. I'm a cool guy at the bottom if you would uh, be satisfied with a one-word answer, and I would thank you enormously. And um, that'll do. That'll do, pig. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different. Bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>